Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. With the third pick in the 2019 NBA Draft, the New York Knicks select R.J. Barrett. What's up, everybody? It's your boy, Prez, coming to you live from the latest episode of Draft Strickland, which is a bittersweet episode because I don't want to say all hope is lost for our possibly having the 11th pick, but it would take a series of coincidences for uh, the NBA to unfuck the situation that uh, the Dallas Mavericks have created. But... We could always come back into the draft by trading someone else or trading for a pick or any number of things. So we're still going to keep this train rolling on the tracks and continue to talk about guys who uh, the Knicks might pick, right? Because even if they have the 11th, that doesn't mean they'll pick 11th. They could trade back. They could trade out. There's a lot of possibilities. And to help us do that, we have somebody very special returning for his second draft Strickland appearance. He was on last season when we were talking about the last class and some of the prospects he was on the internet trying to tell y'all about have ended up cooking this year like walker kessler so i advise you pay attention to what this young man has to say it is none other than mo better known as at mo loves nba on twitter um that's at mo loves nba he writes and tweets about the Knicks, about the NBA, about the WNBA. So if you don't follow him, you should get your life together and do that. Mo, how's it going? Yeah. 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 It's, it's good to take a break, especially, you know, we're, we're kind of in a Nice sort of in-between spot. Like, the Knicks are playing, but it doesn't really matter for the first time in a long, long time. And it doesn't matter for a good reason because our playoff seating is pretty much locked in. Um, The last game, I actually still haven't watched the last game versus uh, New Orleans. And the Knicks are playing as we record this versus Indiana. So I'm going to have to catch up on my late season. Uh, Nobody cares, Knicks. Um but I've been using this time to catch up on a couple of prospects. Um, every year I sort of save very detailed watches towards uh, for right around now, like for looking at their defense, especially because it's so easy to catch offensive highlights or casually watch college games. But once the NBA season starts finishing up, that's when I really, really start to get into some of these guys. Um, and there's a couple in particular that I've been looking at that Mo is here to help us work through. Um, I guess the first question though, before we get into that specific questions of how these different prospects are, but like 
how are you feeling just in general about us and this draft? Like, do you are you sad that the Mavericks are messing things up? Do you think well, it doesn't matter because we're gonna trade Obi for a pick? And you're like, where where are you at? <laughs> yeah, if we get any pick, I'll be happy, to be honest. Um, even if it's later, just because Perrin and these guys have knocked it out the park with later picks. But, ah, man, I can't help but be mad because you're right. Like, people have players in different tiers or whatever. And somewhere in that 11, 12, 13 range, you go from guys who would be in the top 10 in most drafts to other guys who are very good, but, you know, are probably not top 10 caliber players normally. But this year there's like, because there's, there's like five or six guys who might go number one or two or three in normal drafts. And then you have a couple guys after that who would be, you know, in the mix four, five, six, seven, eight. And those guys get pushed to, 10, 11, 12. So we, we have a chance to really get a player like that. But it looks like now the only way we'll get it is if one of the teams who are 12, 13, 14, which I think is uh, the Raptors, the Bulls, and who else? There's a third one. Um, oh, that's right. Yeah. That's right. Hmm. Yeah. I feel like usually teams that trade that are not that don't have a pick to trade in, they trade into the end of the first, not really the lottery. Like that would be considerably expensive. And I'm pretty sure unless there's a player they're obsessed with, like they were with Jaden Ivy last year, they're probably content to just hang on to the picks and save it for some star deal or something like that. Um you did mention that Utah has a couple of picks. Um, there's a couple of teams, I think, that have a couple of picks here. Indiana is the one that jumps out to me where they have um, one lottery pick, one top 10 pick, and then they have uh, Boston's pick, so that'll be at the end of the first, and then Cleveland's pick, which will be somewhere in the 25-26 range. So... If those are the ones I'm looking at, um, and then Utah, you mentioned, in addition to the Minnesota pick, which would be 
you know, right around the lottery. They also have Philly's pick, which should be at the end of the first. So, um, so teams like that that have a couple extras, I think we might be able to to get a little something, some especially if Ob unfortunately gets sent out. Yeah, I wish, like, even if the league, they said they're investigating Dallas, but, like, the strictest, like, there's no way they can, you know, yeah, yeah, it might be a big fine, it might be, like, a million dollars to Cuban and a million to the Mavs or something like that, but um, it won't help us. (laughs) Exactly. They'll be fine. <laughs> exactly. Give us our pick back, Commissioner Silver. Damn it. That's what I want. <laughs> That's what David Stern would do. But no, we, you know, uh, I'm, I'm going through the, the stages of denial and eventually I'll get to acceptance sometime by draft night. Um, so we'll see what happens. <laughs> If that happens, would they be 11? Oh, shit. What happens then? Is it just like a random pick, I think? Damn, that would be crazy. Yeah, we'll see. Um, man, one thing I'm interested in seeing is for the last game versus San Antonio, is Dallas going to, right? Like, like the, there's one thing to say, like, oh, all these guys are sitting out. Like, you know, that's what tanking teams do. But it's different to do what they did in the last game, which is like, oh, somebody's scoring. I'm going to bench them. And that that is why. That kind of stuff is why the league is investigating them because that's not normal tanking team behavior. So it'll be interesting if they do the same thing today. I just want them to keep doing whatever the most dumb stuff is so that they can just make the league matter and matter, even though there's no chance they give us they they give us the pick back somehow. But just because at this point I want like just whatever the worst stuff to happen to Dallas is, that's just what I want to happen. So hopefully <laughs> Thank you. 
a 20 year old <laughs> Mo has to hit us with the truth bomb. Let me have hope, damn it. No, it's okay. Uh, you're right. But let's talk about let's let's get us enough about stupid Dallas. We can finally get into uh the more exciting players because as we've seen, you know, even though even though you don't pick 11th, you can get a guy like Quickly or like Grimes who, you know, both of those guys are easy, easy, easy top 10 picks in a redraft in their respective classes. So, you know, some of the guys we might be talking about this in this pod may fall into the same category. And the first person I want to talk about is somebody who I think is one of the players that people on quote-unquote draft Twitter love a lot more than mainstream uh, draft rankings. And that's Jordan Walsh from Arkansas because he doesn't – he's a freshman. For people who don't know Jordan Walsh, he's a freshman forward. He's like 6'6", 6'7". He's really, really strong. But then if you look at him, you're like, wow, he can – like he's not – like bulging with muscles, but he, he has a great frame, so he can get even stronger. He has like a seven-two wingspan, so his his like body reminds me a lot of OG Ananobi when he was young, and he's basically the the defensive specialist on that team. I mean, they have a lot of good defenders on that team, but he's he's a really good rangy defending wing, and on offense, they don't ask him to do too much. Um, they, his role is pretty straightforward. It's a hit, catch and shoots, it's attack closeouts. Um, but sometimes he'll just do stuff, and we'll talk about it a little bit. But he'll just call his own number or like do a great pass out of nowhere. So I, I guess my first question before we get into why you love Jordan Walsh and why I do too, why do you think he's a uh, kind of like lost hype as the year went on? <laughs> For people who don't know Arkansas, they had um lots of talented freshmen and also talented upperclassmen, but none of them could really shoot. <laughs> Their one shooter was Nick Smith Jr. who got hurt.
Yeah, so, you know, it, it definitely seems like not great circumstances. And one thing I like about him is even though the circumstances on the team weren't ideal, like this was still a competitive team, right? They still made the tournament. And he was, his motor and his, like, even though he was lost in the beginning, it was never really an effort thing with him, right? Like he's he's athletic and strong and he's always flying around. He's kind of like Grimes in that sense where it's like he's, the combination of being an athlete and being physically gifted and just giving eight plus effort, like they could always count on him to play his role, even though his role was, was smaller. Right. Like, I think that's one of the appealing things about him. So one thing I always struggle with with draft stuff is I struggle with how much to love prospects who are really good at defense but don't have, like, a go-to scoring thing on offense. Um, does that worry you at all with Jordan? Or for you, is it more like he's not going to be picked super high anyway? So you so you can you, like whoever you pick is going to be a gamble in the end of the first anyway right like where are you at in terms of um i guess i guess if i had to sum up the question it's like given what do you think of his he needs to do next offensively to become a player in the nba who's like who gets minutes right because you know he'll defend if he's in the nba but it's like can he do enough on offense to get the minutes Oh, sorry. I was on mute. I thought I forgot to unmute myself. I was saying, <laughs> I was saying, uh, I was trying to look up on Instat um, his catch and shoot three point percentage because it was. I don't think his form looks that bad. 
his free throw percentage, he doesn't take a lot of free throws, but um, he shot over 70% on uh, 47 for 66 for 71% from the line. Um, he shot 28% from three on 72 total threes, which is not much. Um, so he definitely wasn't a good shooter. But I I don't think his shot is, like, busted or anything. Like, there's been guys in the first round who are – defensively challenged I mean defensively talented with wor- way worse shots than him um like OG Ananobi when he came in I mean he dropped in the, his draft because he got injured but like the jump shot was a question for him as well so I I don't know I feel like they're sleeping on him and uh let's let's talk about his um okay we talked about like questionable shooting and great defense but like you mentioned the decision making he's a wing right so nowadays if you're a wing you can't really just just sit back and only wait for catch and shoot. Like you're going to get the ball and you got to do stuff. So where are you in terms of his ability to do stuff with the ball? Cause sometimes he's like dunked on people off the dribble. He, he kind of has that Grimes thing where it's like, yo, you're going a hundred miles an hour. Just, just relax for a little bit. But like, where are you in terms of his on ball stuff? Yeah, it's hard to you don't see that many low usage slashers anymore. Um he has a little bit of like connector ability with his passing, but again, like it's hard to be a good connector without being a a good shooter, right? Like Josh Hart is the example of that where I mean, he's shooting fine, but and that's what your goal is as a connector. It's like if you can do other stuff really well, just get your shot to fine and then you're at least a quality bench player, which I think is like, I don't want to say the floor, but that's the goal to me. If I draft Jordan Walsh late in the first or early second, it's like, all right, this guy's never going to probably be a 20 point per game scorer. But if we can get him to be a quality, like high plus minus kind of guy who can defend the all-star wings, then that's a good pick. Even if it's, you know, like it sounds kind of, anticlimactic to say oh we're not you know our goal isn't for him to be like a starting wing but starting wings are that's a high bar so uh i feel like even though it sounds like being a hater if we're like we could get him to be a good role player wing like that's actually really valuable 
Yeah. Oh man, that's true. Mo, I think you went on mute. Yo, you back now. Yeah. <laughs> you started you left off saying uh Cleveland, which is a good example, right? Like he's they're looking for a good wing. I was, I was an Okoro hater and I'll tell you, like, this was, I was going to get to this. Like, I don't think he's that much worse of a prospect than Okoro. Like Okoro was younger, but there's, he's definitely a better prospect. Don't get me wrong, but not like one is a top 10 pick. One is a second rounder, which is currently how they're projected. I just looked up his catch and shoot from the corners. He was uh, two of 14, so not good, but very small sample. And from the not corners, he was eight of 34, which is also not good. But I don't care. Get get like I we. It looks it looks fine. It doesn't you know it's not beautiful, but it's 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 not ugly. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Um, I don't even think Andre Jackson shot is that busted, but it's definitely more busted than Jordan Walsh. <laughs> okay, so um, that's going to be my sales pitch for now on moving forward for Jordan Walsh as a second-round pick or late first for the Knicks or for anybody. It's going to be like, okay, Isaac Okoro was a top-ten pick. Jordan Walsh is not that far off from Isaac Okoro. So even though Isaac Okoro has kind of stunk up the joint a little bit, uh, he's still useful and maybe he still learns to shoot one day. So, you know, I don't think anybody should call him a bust or anything. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he's making progress. Yeah. Although we all know his shooting is going to be terrible versus the Knicks because this is what's going to happen. If, if Isaac Okoro is shooting well versus us, then we might be in some trouble. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All right. The next guy um, I want to talk about is somebody who has been one of both of our favorite players for this whole cycle. And I don't know, man, he I'm really trying not to be put him irresponsibly high on my board, but he's he's got a lot of things that I like. And that's the Frenchman City Sissoko. For people who don't know City, like I said, he's French, uh, and he decided to uh, play for the G League Ignite team along with Scoot Henderson and a couple of other uh, possible draft picks and a couple of other veterans. 
And um, for people who haven't watched the G League Ignite, um, this is year three of dumb having first-round prospects, and they usually are pretty strict in terms of like assigning it's almost like the Knicks actually where they assign young players a role and they're like master this role like don't don't try to deviate from that too much um sometimes with you know higher level prospects like Jaden Hardy or Jalen Green you know the role might be like hey we're gonna make you put up 20 shots a game and even hard shots and uh, with other players it might be like, we're going to get you to do this role player thing or that role player thing. You're going to be three and D you're going to be a rebounder, like whatever. So it's been pretty good for prospect development and city who is a, uh, he's listed at depending on where you look like six, seven, six, eight. Um, he's also listed at like 200, 205. And he, He's never skinny, skinny, but he's like legitimately jacked now. And there's no way he's less than 220 pounds. So he's a big size wing. He kind of has a long neck, but he's also like, I don't know what his wingspan is. If you know his wingspan, Mo, but he's. Yeah, so he has a positive wingspan. Like, I think he's probably physically like a little bigger than RJ in terms of wingspan and maybe like an inch or two taller. And similarly, like kind of thick, but he's more athletic than someone like RJ. Like when he dunks on people, he really dunks on people. And he was a prospect who uh, who kind of came into the season as more of a novelty. Like he videos of him was circulate on Twitter or on ESPN because he he often has really cool passes and like insane just like no look around the back and he doesn't play point guard but he just has really highlight based passes so we'd be watching these like team world versus team usa games and and nike hoop summit and then this kid comes around like doing jump spin passes to like other prospects and it's like whoa hold on who the hell is this and but like when you get down to it when he was playing for the ignite he was good at a lot of things, but he he didn't really wasn't really like ama- he didn't have like any single elite amazing skill. So that's what to me makes him a little difficult as a prospect. Is like he has flashes of amazing passing and posters and even ball handling, and he has great size. But like I, I wish I don't know. I feel like um wishing for a little something more. Am I being greedy? How do you feel about City like now compared to when we were both first learning about him and checking these videos of him, these highlights of him passing and stuff like that?
<laughs> yeah, for sure. Right. I'm glad you mentioned I'm glad you mentioned the like getting him ball handling repetitions without sacrificing stuff, particularly for the rest of the other team that drafts him, right? Because that's he's a perfect example of a player who like in a perfect world he would be on some rebuilding team where he could just get ball handling reps. Doesn't even have to be primary, right? Almost like the ignite, where he can like run the offense a little bit and you know, be allowed to mess up, but there's just not many teams like that. You look at the worst teams in the NBA. So like the Spurs and Houston and Detroit, those are the three worst ones. And only the Spurs really have like ball handling reps available because they don't have like a main point guard prospect, but like Detroit. Yeah. And there's a good chance they end up getting like a man or scoot or something like that. Um, and Detroit, it's like, okay, are you going to take ball handling reps away from Cade Cunningham or Jaden Ivey? And for Houston, are you going to take ball handling reps away from Jalen Green and Kevin Porter Jr.? Maybe. Um, yeah, Kevin Porter Jr., yes, but are you going to take it? Hopefully they take it away and give it to a real point guard. So I love City, but like, if they draft City and they're like, all right, new experiment, City Sissoko point guard is probably not going to be yeah, <laughs> it's <was> a bad idea. <laughs> yeah, so so it, 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 if you assume he's going to a team that you know he's going to have to earn minutes, and he's not a lights out shooter, and he can't really play point guard, then the the path is it, it's tricky. But like he has enough skills that. I don't know if it's in the Ignite or just on the bench. I mean, not on the Ignite, in the G League for whoever drafts him. I'm um, kind of like we did with Deuce or just while he's on the bench. Um, but he probably needs a little bit of seasoning. And that makes it sound like he's a project, but he's really not a project. He just needs to kind of turn some of the skills he has into concrete scoring ability. And I agree with you that I don't think his shooting is like he for. He shot uh, in 28 games with the Ignite this year. He shot 30 or 29%, depending on where you look. And his free throw was like 65% or something like that. Um, so he didn't, uh, he didn't shoot particularly well. But one interesting thing that I discovered. So at the, in the second half of the season for the Ignite, um, a couple of things happened. One... Scoot Henderson got hurt. And then later, second, Scoot Henderson decided, I'm not going to play. I'm going to be a top three pick, so let me not jeopardize that with another injury, which is smart. And um, City, along with Leonard Miller, the other first-round player, they got more field goal attempts as a result of that. Leonard Miller, as a big man, he got a little bit more ball handling, but it was really City who got more ball handling. And if you look at, he had 15 games before the All-Star and 13 after. Um, his minutes went from 28 a game to 31 a game. Um, his usage went from 
15.8, which is nothing. So he was like a bench player for the Ignite to 22 and a half, which is, you know, not crazy high, but he became like one of the main rotation players. His assist percentage went from 14 to 19. Um, and his assist to turnover ratio actually got better. Um, and he shot a little bit worse, but his plus minus and all of his impact metrics improved. And I think just watching the ignite a little bit before and after, um, I think he was succeeding a little bit, getting some on ball reps. And, you know, you, we talked about it with Jordan Walsh is like, is his driving good enough? I think city in the right team, um, maybe not in year one, but in year two, he'll have enough driving ability and catch and shoot ability that uh, he might really be able to fill that connector role where he can pass, you know, like he can run pick and rolls in a pinch. He can hit spot up threes. He's big, so he can defend multiple positions. He's not an amazing defender, but in, in my time watching the ignite, I don't think he was a bad defender by any means. I think he was fine for, the 19, 20 year old. Um, and like I said, he's super athletic. So like he doesn't even need a screen, but if you give him a screen, he can get downhill in a hurry. He like caught some posts and it's, he caught some like half court dunk posters. He was able to dribble in traffic um, really well for a wing. Who's not like a top 10 pick. So um, I don't know, man. I, I think he might've been in the middle of like a baby breakthrough there in the second half of the season. So it'll be real interesting if a team like the Knicks or another team drafts him and then puts him in the G league to compare his G league stats as a rookie to his G league stats with the ignite. Um, so I guess my question for you is like, if you had to pick like for city, how his, if you had to tell me this is how his development becomes successful, what would it look like for you? Because that's what it would look like for me. Yeah. Yeah. The deuce plan, then, basically. <laughs> All right. Man, I'd be so happy. Um, he could learn from Josh Hart, like, the secret connector ways, and it would be good. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. He doesn't. He's not a great rebounder. Um, only three a game and in, in twenty nine minutes, which is insane considering he's six foot seven and very strong. So. Yeah, that's the other thing. Leonard is a vacuum, so they probably are. And especially because Leonard can grab and go, they probably tell City to just like, all right, if you see Leonard near the ball, forget the rebound, just just run up the court because they love transition in the G League. Oh yeah, he Yeah, he he's a legitimate athlete with like power and explosiveness, which is I mean, we're talking about it, right? I'm like, okay, he's a dribble pash sort of shoot wing with explosive athleticism i'm like this guy shouldn't i don't care how whatever he needs like he shouldn't it's crazy that he could possibly go in the second round um this guy is you know his steal rate two percent block rate three percent so like that you know those are just indicators that the athleticism is there like he his free throw rate uh is about 30 which is solid um, I bet I don't have the splits, but I would guess that if you looked at the second half of this season when he was scoring more and getting the ball more, that probably went from 30 to something like 35, 36. So and all of a sudden you're talking basically like RJ Barrett at Duke numbers. Um, you're talking solid ball handling scorer numbers. Um, so he's a, uh, let me look up his, his other splits real quick. Now I'm curious. Because, yo, I don't know, man. I just love the idea of him is just so freaking. <laughs> I Yeah, not a bad, not a lead. Yeah, and the more I look at his splits, like he was figuring some stuff out. Like he he drew more fouls before the All Star break. Twenty percent of his points came from fouls. That jumped up to twenty seven percent. 
Um, that's a little bit different from free throw rate. I can't find the free throw rate. Oh, wait, is this it? Point? No, this is something else. Um, yeah, and here's another important one. So, like, the percent of his two-point field goals that were unassisted went from uh, 42 to almost 50 um, after the All-Star break as he started to get more usage. Um, he just was scoring more. He went from about 12 points a game to, like, 16 points a game. Um, let's see here. Went from taking eight shots a game to 11 shots a game. Um, went from shooting 29 to 32% from three. Um, he went from three assists to four and a half assists. Um, so he was, he was hooping, man. Um, so I, I, I'm with you, man. And his plus minus was positive too, which is important. Um, because you don't want him, especially in the G league where people just run and shoot. And there's not always the most structure. Um, it, it is important to see like how did for G League prospects, I take a look at those plus minus stats. And if in that environment they can have a positive impact, that's really big to me. So that's one of the other reasons why I'm high on City. Um cool. All right. So I want to keep us moving here because we could probably talk about City for a whole podcast if we want. <laughs> uh, I want to talk about somebody who is kind of sad to talk about. And that's Dick Grady. And I say it's sad because he's one of those players who's going to go in that range from 8 to 15. And that we probably could get with the Mavs pick, but probably can't get if we trade in to a later pick. Um, But I know you're a big fan of his. Um, There's actually more. So for people who don't know uh, Grady Dick, he's a he played like the two and the three for Kansas, a really good Kansas team. He's tall. He's like six, eight. He's skinny, but not like he's pretty lean. Like he's pretty athletic. He's not just bones and, and no muscle there. Um, he has decently long arms. Like I wouldn't be surprised if his wingspan came in at like seven and he's like a historically great shooter. He's, he's pretty much an automatic 40% shooter on like any kind of three. Um, he's not out here doing like cross tween hezzy threes, but he runs off movement. Um, he can shoot behind screens. He can take a dribble or two. He can shoot in transition, left side, right side, corner, above the break. In high school, as a senior, he took 17 threes per 100, which is insane. He makes like all his free throws. Um, but even with, you know, all that shooting, you don't really see prospects who are mostly shooters and that's it go in the top 10 so you know he's definitely got some other like he's not a bad defender he's not a bad passer or anything like that but like how do you feel about him and players like him because if you look at other guys who are wing shooters you know i'm thinking devin vassell mikhail bridges um the halliburton to an extent like they generally don't go in the top 10 because they're viewed as mostly shooters, but even guys like McCallan Vassell had the defense and Halley had the the passing and stuff like that. So I feel like there's an argument that he maybe should go lower, but then I'm like, Oh, he's so tall. So I don't know. So like, how, how do you feel about him? Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Yes, that's a great point. I forgot to mention that. He's a young freshman. And for people who don't know, um, Julian Strother is the wing shooter from Gonzaga, who is also a six foot eight shooting specialist, similarly to Grady. Um, but they're different in ways we'll talk about because Strother is going to be the next guy we bring up. But um, Strother is generally mocked anywhere from the late teens to the second round, while Grady is anywhere from like six to 16. So that's what Mo is talking about. You can come. Yeah. Yeah, so that's that's kind of the question with him, right? Is like he's well rounded and he's a great shooter, and Clay Thompson is like the best version of that ever. And then, you know, you I'm looking at the lists of guys who have made who made who are leading in three pointers attempted and made this year for taller guys, and you know, you have guys like Keegan Murray or Kevin Herter um, or Trey Murphy. Um, 
Michael Porter Jr. These are guys who are wing sized. Some are taller, some are smaller. Um, you know, they're n- none of these guys are unathletic, right? Like Jr. lost a lot of his athleticism, but he's still tall. Trey Murphy is tall and an athlete. Herder is pretty athletic, but he's a little shorter. Keegan is a little less athletic, but he's a little taller. So um, there's a good chance that he could be, I feel like, a player like that. And that's just a really safe pick, right? Like somebody who you know will do what they're supposed to do on on defense, even if they're not amazing, who can pass, move the ball, and who you can use like a real weapon on offense. So I, I feel like for the last five, six, seven years, we really haven't had many players like that. But now with those guys I mentioned, like Murphy and Herter and Keegan, we're seeing some of those shooting wings who can do a little bit of stuff come back, right? And then the luxury version of that is obviously like Mikhail Bridges who learned how to dribble and then all of a sudden parlayed his shooting ability to legit scoring ability. And now he's scoring like a lot for the Nets and all that. Um. Two guys who I liked a lot who fit that mold were Corey Kispert, who I think I had him like late lotto or right after the lotto. And then um, Isaiah Joe, who is now on the Thunder and playing a great, doing great for them as a role player. Um, Those are guys who like, I know people don't really think about Corey Kispert or care about him much because the Wizards are just weird, but like, He's doing really good, right? And and Knicks fans know because he scored a bunch against us in that game that they lost. But, like, he was a prospect who could shoot the crap out of the ball but was at, was similar to Grady in that he, he generally knew where he had to be on defense. He was not unathletic. He was actually a, a legit plus finisher. He was an amazing finisher in college who was very strong as well. And, obviously, he was a lot older as a prospect than Grady was. So, um if, if guys like Grady and Jordan Strother can, if that's their floor, like Isaiah Joe, Corey Kispert, like that sounds not sexy, but that's a really useful player. Mm-hmm. We don't have a player like that. <laughs> Tall shooters who who can't get, well, I mean, most tall, most of these tall shooters will get targeted when they're young. But like when they're older, I'm thinking guys who can fit in that Cleveland role you mentioned, right? Who could play with four other guys, and like you know, you look at the guys they have, like Chetty Osman, like he's a okay shooter, and he's not the worst defender, but he doesn't bring that. They don't have anybody to bring that elite shooting. So like a team like Cleveland or the Knicks who are looking for a player like that off the bench, we wouldn't even be picky about their defense really. As long as it wasn't awful, they would probably still be very impactful. And the fact that 
someone like Grady could be more than just awful on defense while bringing that shooting, you know, like there's, there's a reason a lot of us were high on AJ Griffin and, and that's pretty much why, right? Like historic shooting that doesn't get played off the floor plus size is a combo that is, there's a couple of guys that we've talked about, but it is rarer than you think. So um, kind of to use that as a transition, Julian Strother, the wing on Gonzaga, he's a little older than Grady, but he's a 40% shooter, maybe not quite the elite shooter that Grady is, but pretty fucking good. And he has a historically like quickly level floater. So if you close out on him hard, he has a counterattack. You know, we've seen him do it on the big stage in the tournament. He's 6'8, he's solid. He's like at least 220. Why do you think he's getting mocked so much lower than someone like Grady? Yeah, he's a junior, but he's not older than most juniors. One concern I have, so he's big, but he kind of rebounds not much at all. And part of that is Drew Timmy vacuums up the rebounds for Gonzaga. But I am a little bit worried. Sometimes I get worried about his physicality because in some games, I'm like, oh, man, he's being physical on defense and trying to draw contact. But in other games, he's kind of content just being like a college shooter. So where are you on his like role player shooter wing stuff? Like we know he can shoot. We know he has, um, we know he has the floater. He's pretty physical. Can, uh, can draw fouls. His free throw rate over three years is 32%, which is good. Not great, but very solid for a shooter. But like he's, 
like this year he rebounded better. Like his rebound, his defensive rebound percentage has gone up every year in college, 12, 15, and then 20. His assist percentage is really low. Um, so how do you feel about like the connector stuff, like the, the role player stuff, you know, like if he played on the Cavs or the Knicks, um, what, what is the downside or like, is he, is he going to iron out a lot of those things in the NBA? You think? Yeah. Yeah. But that role is definitely important. And um, for the Knicks in particular, you know, if we, if we don't get the Mavs pick and we're looking at a trading in later or something like that, if you see a home run and you feel like you can swing for the fences, like what they did with quickly or Grimes, cool. But if they want to pick somebody who's a specialist, that is also cool. So um, the last guy I wanted to talk about, we're saving arguably the best for last, national champion Jordan Hawkins um, coming fresh off the victory uh, in the championship game and declaring for the NBA draft. Possibly the best shooter of all of these guys we're talking about, which is saying something because Grady and Strother are really good shooters. Um I, I think most listeners are familiar with him now after the tournament run, but in case you're not, he's a shooting guard. He's 6'5". He's a sophomore. He's 20. So he's not a old sophomore, not a young sophomore. Um, he is a true off-screen shooting god, like Corver, Clay, Reggie Miller style. Like He had the second most points off-screens in college, in all of college. At any given possession, he's running around three or four screens. He knows how to do the tricky handoff stuff where he's running off of one screen and he pivots like a football player and changes direction and cuts to the hoop. Um, he can attack closeouts, and especially in the middle. He's not unathletic, even though he's very skinny. So he's uh, he draws free throws. Is um. He didn't draw any free throws in November, and then for the rest of the year, his free throw rate was 36, which is really good for a shooter. Um, 
And he's a dog on defense too, right? Like that whole UConn team, everybody pretty much locks up. And even though he's skinny, he's he reminds me a little bit of um of quickly in college where he was skinny, but he would try to annoy guys and push the ball back out towards half court and stonewall people. And if he gets caught on mismatches, he'll fight. You know, he's not always going to win, but he'll fight. He's not just someone you can walk over who doesn't care about defense. So there's a lot of reasons to like him. But despite that, some people still have him being, you know, he's because of the tournament run, his stock has definitely gone up. But on some boards, he's still like in the 20 to 30 range, which is not necessarily an insult in this draft because a lot of those guys might be in the teens in other drafts. But um, where are you on, on, on Hawkins? Like, I, I think everybody agrees he's a good prospect. It's just the question is how good. So let's talk about that fit because I agree with you and what I would be scared of because he, he checks a lot of boxes on kind of for players that Nick's like, if we have a late first, right? He's not a freshman. They don't like taking freshmen. He's a great pull-up shooter. They love taking pull-up shooters. He's a dog who plays defense. They love taking people who play defense. He plays for a big school. They love that. He's from the DC, Maryland, Virginia area. Same as quickly. So there, there's just like a lot of, sort of things that I could see the Knicks liking about Hawkins. And at the same time, like you mentioned, he's a movement shooter. And if you put him, you can't put him in the Grimes role, right? Because Grimes, Grimes makes it work because he's so explosive physically that when he attacks the rim, he's going to get a, a layup, a dunk or an assist for the most part. Hawkins is, is a good athlete but he's not a great athlete and he's much skinnier than Grimes so like he could space the floor from the corner but that would if you're not moving him around screens you're probably wasting him and and we know the Knicks aren't huge fans of that that's not really how their offense works like and we know that because Grimes and quickly both took quite a bit of movement threes in college and that hasn't really been a big part of their game um, it feels like Josh Hart takes arguably more movement threes than those guys. Are, I mean, he, he somehow miraculously makes them. So good for you, Josh Hart. But that that's the thing I'm scared about with with not just the Knicks, but a team that takes him um, just 
misusing him. And that's the difference between someone like him and Grady, where like Grady's so tall that you know he's going to do other things like provide some rim deterrence or get in the passing lanes just because he's, uh, he's much taller, right? Like there's the fits are a lot easier for Grady than Jordan because you need to use him off screens and he's a little smaller. So he's not quite as switchy as someone like Grady. Um, so I almost wonder if like where he picks and where he's mocked Hawkins, it almost doesn't matter. Right. Because like, if you're some random team, right? Like whether it's the Knicks or I don't know, some other Utah, right. Who has a bunch of picks like, and you're, and you re- recognize like, if we want Hawkins, we have to use him in movement sets. Then all of a sudden he becomes a much better prospect. Right. So he could be like 15 on some team's board. And if another team is like, eh, we don't want to make movement shooting a big part of our offense. He's 30th for us. Like those are both, like reasonable assessments, right? So there's a lot of variability there. It feels like. Um, so I don't. I don't really know what the what the Knicks would think of him. What do you think? You don't you don't see a lot of that in the NBA right now. Isaiah Joe takes a lot of threes, but even he doesn't really take a lot of mo- like hard movement threes coming off screens. He didn't take that many like that in Atlanta. Yeah, he's very skinny. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Like, if he was on the Knicks, he would immediately become physically the weakest Nick defensively. Like, easily. 
Yeah, and yeah, quickly has gotten pretty strong and Grimes as well. Um, so uh, th- he would definitely have some work to do. But the good news is that's something that a lot of teams can do. And it's not, you know, you're not asking a non-shooter to become a shooter. You're asking a 20-year-old to get in the weight room. And he seems like the kind of guy who, like, he probably will never be jacked. But you hope he can make a uh, a transition kind of like quickly did where he's at least solid for his size. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. So, um, there you have it on Jordan Hawkins. He's a he's the kind of player who who draft boards are not particularly helpful about because it doesn't really get at how a team would use him, which would matter a lot for his outcome. And that's true of every player, but that's especially true of someone with a very special skill set like him. So just because you see him ranked whatever on Mo's board or my board or lower on someone else's board, like don't, don't sleep on my boy Jayhawk. Uh, he's, he's a real hooper out here. Um, those are the five guys we wanted to discuss. Um, there's a good chance that aside from Grady, the other ones might be in the mix for the Knicks. If they end up with a late first, um, if the Knicks magically miraculously do get the Dallas pick, then I think someone like Grady will very much be in consideration for them too. So cross your fingers. Yeah, <laughs> he, he might. Him and Taylor Hendricks and I don't know who else. Who else is tall and can shoot? I don't know. Those guys. <laughs> so um, thank you, Mo, for joining us. Um, you want to tell the people again where they can find you? Okay, you heard the man. Stay tuned. He got some stuff cooking in the kitchen. Um, you know, follow follow Mo. When when school is not as crazy, he'll do threads. He'll do Mo's corner or whatever it's called, where he talks about a particular play or particular action that some team is running. That's always very helpful. Um, so you got to bring that back for the playoffs, man. <laughs> All right. Well, we'll see. Fingers crossed. Hope you find some time to give us some good content. And listeners, remember, fuck the Mavericks. Go Knicks in the playoffs. Keep reading the Strickland. We have lots of great draft stuff. Regardless of whether we have a pick or not, we have lots of great draft stuff. So thank you for hanging in there with us despite that. And on that note, we will see you next time. Thank you.
You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.